twelve chapter six of round the block by john belbooten this librivox recording is in the public domain revelations of a laugh the carpenter here burst out with an extraordinary peal of laughter it was so very peculiar that once heard it would always be identified with the person making it this singular laugh consisted of a brilliant staccato passage on a high key interrupted by several snorts and terminating with a slur which covered the whole descending octave it was also very loud and very long it had the effect of bringing mrs frump to the door she thrust out her head unseen by either the carpenter or matthew and looked at the former with a wondering air it was an odd idea said matthew laughing slightly out of compliment to the carpenter though he could not understand what there was to laugh at. And now, continued he, when the carpenter's cachinations had subsided, I will explain to you my motive in asking all these questions. I am engaged to Mrs. Frump, and she is now... The carpenter immediately broke into another of his remarkable laughs, louder and longer than before. Well, sir, said Matthew sarcastically, when you get through, perhaps you will be good enough to tell me what you are laughing about. The I.D. <laughs> of your <laughs> marrying Mrs. <laughs> and the remainder of the sentence was lost in that monstrous laugh. Matthew, irritated by this most aggravating species of ridicule, took the carpenter's measure for a kick, but judiciously refrained from fitting him with one. The second of the carpenter's laughs had made the widow, still stealthily looking out of the door, turn pale. The third had inspired her with a painful curiosity, which she had determined to gratify at any risk. Before the last laugh she had therefore crept up unobserved near where Matthew and the carpenter were standing, with their backs toward her. Coming around suddenly in front of them, she saw the carpenter's mouth wide open, still in the act of laughing, and observed that one of his front teeth was out. The widow screamed and fell into Matthew's arms, nearly flooring him. "'Hold on to her,' said the carpenter. "'She will come to in a minute.' "'Who, sir? Who on earth are you?' shouted Matthew, struggling under the burdensome widow and a sense of mental bewilderment. I am Amos Frump, he replied in a voice which had suddenly risen five notes. The widow's husband, the dead come to life, exclaimed Matthew, starting back and nearly dropping the inanimate form. Astounded as he was, he did not forget the marital rights of the man before him, and he said with a trembling voice, politely, I beg your pardon, but as you are this lady's husband, perhaps you had better hold her. She appears to be doing very well where she is, replied the singularly calm Amos Frump. A moment more and she will be out of her fainting spell. I've seed her very often this way before. Mr. Frump's prediction was verified, for his lips had scarcely closed on the words when Mrs. Frump opened her eyes and feebly said, Is it a dream? No, Gusty, replied the composed Amos. It is a husband come back from California with fifty thousand dollars. It is, 
"'It is my own husband's voice,' cried Mrs. Frump, throwing herself impulsively out of Matthew's arms upon the patched and faded coat of her restored consort. "'I thought you would know the voice,' said Amos, "'and that's the reason I changed it into a growl. "'This ear old California suit was a pooty good disguise, too, "'but my confounded laugh betrayed me. "'I didn't think to change that.' The third laugh had roused old Van Quintum from a nice nap, and he came out on the piazza. "'Hello, Mr. Carpenter. What are you doing there?' said he good-naturedly. A few words from the supposed Carpenter defined his position, and threw old Van Quintum into the appropriate state of amazement. Looking at the shaggy face by a variety of lights, he soon came to recognize it as that of his niece's husband whom he had seen a few times on his yearly visits to the country, before his farming brother, Nicholas Van Quintum, father of Mrs. Frump, had died. "'From the way Gusty hangs to you, I judge you are no ghost,' said old Van Quintum, when he had partly recovered his senses. "'No more than I am a carpenter,' was the dry response. "'But how does it happen that you are no ghost?' asked old Van Quintum with fearful interest. This was what everybody wanted to know, and so Mr. Frump, supporting his wife by the waist, while she, apparently half-stupefied, reposed her head on his shoulder, explained the mystery of his appearance. He had been severely injured in a drunken quarrel about a claim. He would not deny that, and, taking off his broad-brimmed hat, he showed the two deep scars extending from his eyebrows to the roots of his hair. He was left on the ground for dead, and his assailants ran away. The enterprising correspondent of three San Francisco papers saw him when he was first found, and learning that he would undoubtedly die, the enterprising correspondent regarded him as already sufficiently dead for newspaper purposes and sent three thrilling accounts of his butchery, written up with ingenious variations, to the three journals of which he was the indefatigable special. In a few days the nearly murdered man was out of danger. On learning that the news of his death had already been sent to the papers, the singular idea came into his mind to let the reports go uncontradicted, change his name, give up drinking, move away to some place where he was not known, and begin his miner's life over again. The special correspondent, on being consulted by him, assured Mr. Frump that he could depend on his, the correspondent's, silence, since it was his invariable practice never to take back or qualify any statement made by him such a course being obviously fatal to his hard-earned reputation for accuracy. The correspondent also very obligingly supplied him with copies of the papers containing the circumstantial accounts of his death, which he directed in a disguised hand, and sent through the mail to his wife. He had then assumed another name, gone into Benicia County, was successful in gold-digging, and after making about two thousand dollars had taken up his residence in the nearest village, undesignated, and had invested his money in speculations, kind not particularized. Fortune followed him, 
but he found it convenient, for certain reasons not given, to move away to another village in a few months. In fact, he had, within four years, made the entire circuit of California, never staying in one place more than a quarter of a year. I don't want to brag, said Mr. Frump, but it is well enough to have it understood that I made my pile. Mr. Frump nodded his head quietly, as one who does not lie. Old Van Quintum had hitherto hesitated to congratulate Mrs. Frump upon the reacquisition of her husband. He now advanced and shook her warmly by the hand. I wish you joy, said he, and you too, Mr. Frump. I never had the pleasure of meeting you often, though I had frequently heard of you. With regard to those unpleasant family difficulties in which you became involved, they are now at an end, for Gusty's parents are both dead, and the old house and farm are sold. Let bygones be bygones. So say I, Mr. Van Quintum, said Mr. Frump, grasping the extended hand. As for my wife's relatives, I'm sure I allers forgave em. As for the old house and farm, if you like, Gusty, we'll buy it back again. Mrs. Frump, still resting on her husband's shoulder, sobbed a little, and clung closer about him. Here is one friend of the family, continued Amos, in his pleasantest manner, pointing to Matthew, whom I don't know by name, though we've scraped an off-hand acquaintance. Mr. Frump, Matthew Maltboy, Esquire, said old Van Quintum. Matthew, like Mrs. Frump, had fully appreciated the awkwardness of his situation, and had kept a rigid silence since the returned Californian resumed possession of his wife. The minute after Mr. Frump's identity had been established, Matthew could have hugged him with ecstasy. But having lost the widow, his fickle mind straightway began to discover in her a great many excellencies that he had never seen before. Therefore, when he submitted his hand to the grip of Mr. Frump, his face expressed a strangely mingled joy and regret. "'I like you,' said Mr. Frump, "'and as soon as wifey and I commence housekeeping again, I'll expect lots of visits from you. Whenever I'm not at home, wifey'll make everything comfortable. Won't you, dear?' If you wish it, replied Mrs. Frump, looking up into his face, which was not a repulsive one, for your word shall always be my law. I must say, said Matthew, his face exhibiting unqualified admiration for Mr. Frump, that you are the most generous man I ever met, and if Mrs. Frump will promise to introduce me to some nice young woman that she could recommend for a wife, Perhaps I'll accept your invitation. I'll get you a wife in less than a week, said Mrs. F., who was rejoiced that the interview between her recovered husband and late suitor had ended peacefully. But one thing you haven't yet explained, Amos, said old Van Quintum. How did you get into Crumley's employment? Bless your innocent heart, I am not. I arrived this morning in the steamer blank straight from Aspinwall, with this old scarecrow suit on, just as you see me now. I was intendin' to take the railroad for Tioga County, and play off a leetle surprise on Gusty and her relations up there. But before goin', 
it occurred to me to call in on a Mr. Lambkin, who was raised in Tioga, and keeps a grocery store in the lower part of Washington Street. I found Mr. Lambkin in, and he told me as how, accordin' to last accounts, Gusty was stayin' with her uncle Van Quintum. I knowed your address, and come up here short meter. I was goin' to pretend that I was a man in search of work, and trust to luck to get a sight of Gusty. I found your front door open and walked through the entry to the back parlor, where you fust see me standin'. Afore I could ask you for any work, you wanted to know if I hadn't been sent to mend your piazza railing. It was easy to say yes, and I said it. And very well you carried out the joke, Amos, said old Van Quintum. You wouldn't make a bad actor. Rather better actor than Carpenter, I guess, said Mr. Frump. Perhaps so, said old Van Quintum. But a financier of your talent needn't act or mend railings for a living. I should like to know, now, how you made your money in California. Nine out of ten who go there come back poorer than they went. "'Tisn't best to ask too many questions of a returned Californian," answered Amos, in perfect good humor, nor of anybody else about business matters. "'You are right,' added old Van Quintum. "'I say to wifey and to all my friends, let bygones be bygones. Take me as you find me, and I'll take you as I find you, and we'll ax no questions on either side. Dear Amos, you are the best of husbands, said Mrs. Frump, looking fondly in his face. Mr. Frump improved as he was looked at. Let bygones be bygones is a very good rule, said old Van Quintum. Mr. Frump, said Matthew, unable longer to repress the compliment, you have a wonderful amount of good sense. I told you, was the laughing reply, that Amos was sensible in some things. End of Book 12, Chapter 6